I'm Ben Clunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. We're two entrepreneurial professionals based in Spokane, Washington. Join us on our journey to make 2019 the most prosperous of our lives. We'll bear all as we strive to improve all aspects of our business and our health and fitness, as well as our relationships personally and professionally. We aim to offer impactful insight into our business and personal lives. We'll share the good, the bad, and the ugly throughout our journey. With the ultimate goal of our business and fitness being in the best shape of our lives at the close of 2019. You're You're listening listening to to the the Ordinary Ordinary to Extraordinary Extraordinary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Ordinary to Extraordinary Podcast today. So we're actually recording this the day after the Dirks Bentley concert here in Spokane. Uh, John Party opened for him, uh, and I forget the girl's name, but she was very good as well last night. So... Yeah, last night was fun. I'm functioning on about three hours sleep because I had to be in Chihuahua, Washington by 6.45 this morning for a 7 a.m. presentation. Uh, probably should have gone home right after, but I'll apologize for any rasp in my voice today. But Ben looks fresh. As fresh as you can be for having been sick earlier in the week when your wife is also sick and your one-year-old son is also sick. But, you know, it's always yeah. fun puking up stomach bile. Ben, ben had a, a rough start to the week. Uh, end to the weekend, start to the week, I guess. Yeah, last weekend going into this week. But hey, I'm alive, I'm here, and it's Friday. And we actually have a pretty cool podcaster. We think it's pretty cool. You guys can let us know what you think. Yeah, We're going to discuss <laughs> millennials today. Uh, not just bash on them. We're actually going to talk about how they're the largest workforce demographic right now. We're going to follow up Ben and I discussing this with an interview with Tyler Lafferty. And Ben, you wanted to say just a little bit about what Tyler is and who he is and what he does? Tyler is a friend of mine and uh, we serve together on a local board here in town which uh, owns a few different companies, works with a lot of millennials and has some good insight. Not too far out of the millennial kind of range himself in terms of age, but a Generation Xer. So hopefully you guys enjoy uh, today's podcast and our uh, discussion with him and then the precursor to that, Stephen and I's thoughts and uh, kind of tips and ideas on millennials and some of the stigmas that they have to work through. So we're going to chat a little bit today about millennials, which is obviously um, something that we see in the the news all the time. We're talking about millennials being the number one workplace demographic since 2008. So there's lots of them. Um, And I say them because I am not quite a millennial. I'm on the tail end of Gen X. But Ben, you're a millennial, millennial. right? I guess we should probably start by sort of breaking down what generations are. We're almost to the end of the GI generation. So those are people that were born 1900 to 1924. So that's not the gastroenterologist or one of those types of things? (laughs) Or is it maybe they're on the cusp of needing a GI doctor? (laughs) No, GI, obviously, the reason they're called the GI generation is because they were were enlisted. They uh, went and fought in the First World War. That was so, a mean joke. Um, it was a mean joke. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, so they're almost 100 years old if they're still alive at this point. And we have to, you know, respect what they did for the country. And then you've got the silent generation. So those guys are from about 1925 to 1945, lived through the Second World War, Pearl Harbor, and then you guys flying over to Europe and, and helping out the rest of the world instead of keeping your distance like you did for the first four years of the war. <laughs> and that's my little dig at the U.S. I'll, I'll, He's Scottish, I'll, I'm he'll sure, do that. I'm sure I'll get it in the throat But you noticed one. he grew up in Scotland, yet moved to the U.S. <laughs> hmm. Funny so, how that works. 
The Silent Generation, I'm not actually sure why they were called the Silent Generation. Maybe we can uh, have you guys look that up on your own. And then 1946 to 1964, I actually do know why they're called the Baby Boomers. They're called the Baby Boomers because it was a time of huge, huge economic growth and positivity in the country, in fact, around the world. So the Second World War was done in 45, and from there on out, Living conditions were good, things were going well with the economy. Mommy and daddy were feeling frisky. Yep, and there were lots of babies. And there's other things that played into that as well. Obviously, back then, religion was front and centre for many, many more people than it is now. At least Christianity was in the US. It was it was pretty much everywhere, and that, that led to lots of babies. And then you've got 65 to 82, and this is where I fall in. I'm a Gen Xer, but I'm right on the tail end. I was born in 81. Generation X, if you do some research on it, is actually the least supervised generation of all the generations, which means we grew up with keys in our pocket from young ages where we came home from school, took care of ourselves, we went out and played in the streets on our bikes or played soccer or football or whatever, and we came home when it was dark. We just knew when it was time to come home. So the least supervised generation, and that led to millennials. So millennials were born 83 and on. And basically what that means is they, they had a, a digital upbringing in the, their childhood. They don't remember not having internet and access to information that the generations before them did not have. And then we're actually on the cusp of a new generation from 2000 onwards. We're calling that the new silent generation or Generation Z. And nobody knows when that one's going to end yet. But if you think about it, everybody that turns 18 years of age at this point is in a position where they do not, have never experienced not having the internet, Facebook, Instagram. It's crazy to think how different their upbringing is from even Ben and I's. I grew up with a smartphone in their hand. So as Stephen said, I fall into the millennial generation, and I'm a little earlier on in that age range in terms of the 83 on. So some of my young childhood would be similar to that of a Generation Xer. I guess, by the way, millennials are also known as Generation Y. So XYZ, go figure. Because, I mean, I remember growing up as a kid playing uh, hide-and-go-seek in the neighborhood, not coming in till dark, and my mom would go outside on the deck and whistle, a loud whistle, and it was like, oh, time to come home. It's like you knew when it was time to come home. You'd hear mom's whistle wherever you were. You know, I didn't grow up with a smartphone in my hand, and we didn't have a computer in our house initially. My parents have a design firm, so computers were definitely something we had at the office, but not home. And then I remember one of our first computers was an old Mac, you know, one of those old little tiny personal desktop ones where I played, I think it was Pong or something on it. You know, you had the two paddles, and the ball would go off the floor, and you had to try and keep the paddles bouncing off the sidewalls. But uh, not something that we got to play a whole lot on, more so outside. And remember my parents getting their first cell phone in like 94, 95, I think. And they had a shelf, cell phone that they actually shared with the kind of the head of the antenna where you'd pull it out. You know, not the big brick or a car phone. Uh, definitely uh, my generation started to see that type of stuff coming about, right? We didn't have nav in our cars like we do now or any of that type of stuff, but we were getting introduced to it. And then I started getting 
dial-up internet. So every time I wanted to get on this thing called MySpace, I'd have to, <laughs> ding, 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 you know, the whole dial-up thing going on. You'd wait for two minutes for your internet to pull up, and then you'd log into your MySpace account and see what Tom was up to. But, yeah, uh, with the for, music playing, right? How well, yeah, for those that? that don't, I mean, people probably don't even know who Tom is, right, when yeah. I say that now. I still speak to Tom. Tom's my friend. <laughs> Tom's my friend. <laughs> We're BFFs. Tom and I are definitely BFFs. So, yeah, I mean, but now it seems like the millennial generation is kind of villainized a little bit in a way. So my generation is villainized. I know, I mean, they talk about really them having a, a, a lack of a work ethic, a bad work ethic, kind of a selfish mindset in a way. I mean, what else do you think, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I have experienced in Ben's company, uh, we, we were at a networking group, and I won't say who did it, but there was a fella who was part of the group basically ragging on millennials, and as I'm looking around the table, there was probably 10 or 11 of us in the room at the time, and as he's ragging on millennials and their lack of work ethic and all of the common uh, misconceptions that people have of millennials, I'm kind of thinking, do you realize your audience right now and I think that's quite common. When you're a little older, you don't notice it as much. But I think millennials certainly pick up on it. And, and they take it to heart. Because yeah. Dave Ramsey's one of the guys that I look up to quite, quite a lot. And he, uh, he loves hiring millennials. But he does acknowledge there are two very specific different groups within that millennial makeup. And that could be the, the hardest working, most motivated very, very articulate, or the lazy entitled, which has kind of been pushed on to the, the entire almost. generation. Yeah. You know, they, they get a bad rap, and we kind of want to talk a little bit about the, the reasons we want to talk about how we might fix some of those things when we come to managing millennials or even encountering millennials. And then we want to give some uh, some insight into what we think might be best. Well, and hopefully, 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 hopefully dispel some of the, I guess, myths or ideas around the negativity of being a millennial and where they've come from too. And I mean, I have a, I have my own kind of speech that I give people, and I guess I'll do it. And Stephen can edit it out if he wants, <laughs> because. I always say it's like, you know, we went through the generations, you know, Generation X and Y are probably the two main ones that we'll talk about, Y being the millennials, X being Stephen's generation, and the one before uh, even a little bit. But, I mean, the Xers are the ones that are really, you know, we'll say they're in their 40s and 50s, a lot of them right now. Stephen's not there yet, but he's on the tail end of, uh, of we said, the Generation X. I mean, those are the people who are really, as far as a career force goes, or a workforce goes, those are the ones who are really in the management positions at this point, right? So they're the ones that are doing the hiring and the firing and that seem to be vocalizing their displeasure or dis... Uh, I guess displeasure is a fine word, with uh, the millennial generation. And I always say, you know, it's funny that these people are the ones that are so displeased with the millennial generation because they're the ones that do the hiring and dictate who they're hiring, right? So when we're talking about hiring and we're talking about, hey, we're only going to hire people anymore that have a college degree. And Stephen and I kind of alluded to this in our beliefs on college degrees uh, in the first podcast, and that'll be a whole other podcast that we'll do sometime. But, I mean, we're, we're hiring these people that we're demanding they have a college degree, which means they have to go to four years of school, if not more, and go into debt because school, the cost of college has increased at such an unsustainable rate that these kids are graduating with massive student loan debt. 
and then they're going out and they're needing to find a job, but they've also been raised in a society where they've been told they need to have a purpose in everything they do and find what their purpose is and get some intense satisfaction out of that because they want to go and they want to change the world, right? It's like, well, a lot of times what we think of as those positions that are going to go and have a meaningful impact and change the world don't pay a lot of money, right? But now they have the student loan debt, so they're in a funny, precarious situation. So they go and they get a job that pays thirty-five grand, forty-five, fifty-five, sixty-five, whatever it is, depending on where you live, to satisfy their student loan debt that they might have to pay down, but they don't feel the satisfaction that they were hoping for because they don't necessarily know what their purpose is and if they're really having an impact uh, in, the, in, their, in their job, in their position, right? It's also important to remember that not having a college degree does, is in no way, shape or form an indicator of ability, an indicator of skill level or an indicator of intelligence or IQ. Mm-mm. It is 100%, in my opinion, a piece of paper that should denote a specific skill. When people go to college and get these degrees, I'll use Dave Ramsey again, German polka history or dance or art, it limits what they can do, how much money they can earn, and how they can service this debt that they've been forced, almost forced, to get. From a young age, they're told, go to college, get a degree, you will be able to earn a lot of money. Unfortunately, that's really not the case. And we also have to be aware people are living longer and working later for multiple reasons. They're working later because they've not taken care of retirement needs. Mm-hmm. Like ben, ben will tell you that that's very prevalent. Can't tell you how many 50-year-olds are playing catch-up right now. Or people that are 65 and still have to go and work in the local Ace Hardware store or, yep. you know, Sweet go back Streets. To work. Or, yeah. And then we also, so as well as people living longer, we have people working later into life because they're more physically able to. They're healthier. So we have to understand that there's only so many jobs. And even though unemployment is at its lowest for a long, long time, how many of those are degree-level jobs versus entry-level jobs? Now, to come back to the fact that there's two different mindsets here. There's an entitlement mindset and there's a hard-working mindset. Millennials are prepared to come in and work hard, but we have to provide them with more than a monetary incentive for that. And that comes down to how they've been raised. Remember, millennials are being raised by Gen Xers who were the least supervised generation. The credit card generation is what we do for those that generation in finance. Yep. So they're, they're, they are being raised by this generation who did not have people checking on them, did not have supervision on a regular basis when they were when they were at young ages. And now we have helicopter parents who make every decision for kids when they're young, try and take away any pain, try and take away any kind of bad experience, whether that be at school, whether that be in their first employment, whatever it is, we have these millennials who have not been prepared for disappointment. So when they're interviewing for jobs, when they are entering the workforce, they're not prepared to do things that are painful in order to be successful. And again, this is just some insight into maybe some of the whys and why we're having some issues with millennials and older generations not accepting them. Well, and it, 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 to that point, and further, you know, 
I work in finance, like we said, and so I see a lot of these 50-year-olds trying to play catch-up, but they're also taking a lot of the higher-paying jobs, not necessarily 50-year-olds, but more so late 60s, early 70s, right, that are sticking around with these higher-paying jobs that usually, I mean, you say one of these guys is making 100 grand a year, right? It's like, well, you could go hire two entry-level millennials at $50,000 a year if this one guy would retire, but he hasn't done a good job of saving for retirement, to your point earlier. But it's also, I always say, it's like, you guys, you Gen Xers, you got to realize you ran up the national debt. You bankrupted Social Security. You demanded that millennials go get four-year degrees and rack up all this debt and then wonder why they won't go work hard to get a job because they're trapped. They have to go find a job that will pay enough to satisfy their student loan debt, and that's not out there because... These 70-year-olds are still working at the higher-paying jobs because they didn't do a good enough job of saving, and they were relying too heavily on Social Security, which you now bankrupted. Unbreathe, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) There's my soapbox. Something else that we we talked about the analog childhood that, that I had and Ben had to a point. I did not have a cell phone until I was 18 or 19 years old. I had dial up internet, maybe at 16. And it honestly, it took too long to find anything worthwhile or download anything worthwhile. I remember spending a weekend trying to download a song on Napster, <laughs> if, if that puts it in a perspective for you guys. If you remember Napster, great. If you don't, look it up online. You might see it in the social network movie as well. This is coming full circle. We were talking about Tom, Facebook, <laughs> Napster, Tom technology, technology is playing a huge part in what is shaping millennials when they come into the workforce. They're used to dopamine hits. You should know this if you don't. Dopamine is a chemical produced within our brains and, and throughout our bodies, and it's uh, it's in relation to pleasure. So you get dopamine released when you're having sex, when you're gambling, when you score a goal in soccer. All these things that are pleasurable, dopamine floods your system. The same dopamine is released in your system when you get a text message. So every time your phone vibrates, every time mm-hmm. you see someone liked a picture Facebook on Instagram, notify, yeah, all of this is the same when it comes to dopamine. So we have a dopamine-enriched generation of young people who seek that. They need that affirmation. They need these dopamine hits. We have this older generation, multiple older generations, that don't operate like that, don't need that. And some some have some of the the most addicted people to social media and other forms of technology are from the older generations, but it's never really been explained to them. So they they just mm-hmm. see it as oh, I'm just using my phone. Well, that's that dopamine hit, yeah. right? That's a drug. We have to be aware that technology, as great as it is, has also created different expectations and different chemical reactions within the body that we did not experience growing up. You know, I was 18 when I got a cell phone, so I'm a little more tech savvy than than older Gen Xers or baby boomers. I was 16. Yeah, so there's definitely the technology aspect. Well, the thing about technology, too, I'm going to interrupt for a second, right, is we we talked about on our last podcast, time blocking, reminders, some of those. It can be incredibly useful to increase efficiency, right? But it can also be a time suck. Mm-hmm. Like having Facebook on your phone and getting those dopamine hits is super distracting when you're supposed to be focusing on a task and all of a sudden you get a notification 
that your you know buddy just liked your photo or your girlfriend is out with the girls at happy hour and then sent you a text message like these things are distracting so technology used in the wrong hands can be actually really inefficient yeah at the same time and one of the things i've pointed out to people in the dating world and we, we we're going to talk about my dating life every now and again unfortunately in the dating world we um get what happens in three days used to take six months mm-hmm. so let me break that down for you here in six months, you would meet someone, arrange to hang out with them, hang out with them on the weekend, maybe once or twice, have their house phone, have the fear of calling that house and maybe talking to mum or dad, can I speak to your daughter, please? Who is this? I tell you, I, I've experienced it. It's terrifying, or it used to be. I don't do that anymore, obviously. I usually have a cell phone number. But what took six months... You know, let's say you hung out 20 times and you asked questions and you got to know someone over a six-month spell and then realized that it wasn't going to work out. This is literally happening a day or two. You swipe right on Bumble, you swipe right on Twitter, you send a match message or a POF message. You're then exchanging phone numbers and you text back and forward so much in three days and get all those dopamine hits. And sometimes before you've even met somebody, you've ruled them out. Even though physically there's an attraction, you thought there was an, an attraction in the mental sense first but you've ruled them out in three days or you hang out with them once but because you've asked so many questions you realize that there's no chemistry that's that's an application in the dating world but think about that in the work world as well it used to be that you would train someone and it took a long time to see if they were up to speed mm-hmm. well a lot of jobs now are less manual and more in the in the mental field and you can see a lot quicker if someone has the skills and the capabilities to interact effectively. The other thing about millennials is they've been trained to question the status quo. From a young age, they've been told you can achieve, you can do what you want, go out and get it. Yeah, no, and I actually agree with that point. <laughs> it's like I remember growing up, my parents were like, if you want to be the president, you can be the president, right? People were like, that's nuts. It's like, but I still believe it, actually. It's like, and people might think that's crazy, but it's like, I still believe it. I don't think it's crazy. I know some people think it's crazy, but I'm an eternal optimist too. So I think if if you truly want something, you will get it, right? Because you won't stop until you get it. Like if there's something that I really want, I just won't stop until I have what I want. And I don't know if that's a generational thing as much as it is somebody with drive, like real drive. But I think the millennials sometimes lack drive if they don't see a very clear path and a very clear purpose that is for the greater good. And just to touch on that, I can actually quantify that for Ben. The older generations had a fixed mindset more often than not. Mm -hmm. So the fixed mindset taught them, you grow up at 18, you either go to college or get a job. Mm -hmm. Now, if you went to college, you were going to get a job in four or five years and you would earn a little bit more, usually, than the person that didn't go to college. You would learn a skill, you would learn a trade, but the fixed mindset was you grew up, you went to work, you grew old, you died. You work for one employer the majority of the time. Now, people are taught a growth mindset. And the growth mindset is that the status quo is just that. You, it's, it's right now. It's right here. And if you want to change it, you're the, you're the protagonist here. You can change it for the positive or you can change it to be worse. I think that's a major difference here. We have, again, an entire generation of people hitting the workforce still who truly have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I was going to say, going back to my point, I guess, about 
uh, millennials needing to see a clear path with a purpose that's for the greater good. So we're talking about kind of like how do we manage these types of people and how you motivate and lead these types of people, right? Because they're not necessarily motivated through, you know, monetary possessions uh, as much so as they might be through purpose. So a benefits package with 401k and healthcare and all that's really nice. And a high-paying job is really nice, but that's not what's going to keep them around necessarily either, right? It's the fringe benefits a little bit too and the purpose that they feel. So what we want to do from here is give you guys some ideas on alternatives to dealing with millennials who you might see as problems rather than seeing them as a problem. There's some really, really simple things. So we talk about management versus leading. I learned a long time ago, you manage processes, but you lead people. And by that, I mean, you can teach someone how to do something, but to then micromanage them as they do it probably isn't going to be effective. When you lead someone, give insight, you give feedback, you coach versus tell them what they want to do. So Steve Jobs has a famous quote, it's all over memes, and he said, you don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. You hire smart people so they can tell you what to do. Mm. And I truly believe that, you know, and a lot of times people are so caught up on position, especially the older generations, they're caught up on being a boss, they're caught up on their title, they're not caught up on leading and making everyone around them better. One of the concepts that we can use to apply this is is always be trying to replace yourself and not replace yourself in the manner of you won't be there anymore With a growth mindset, which is a really healthy mindset, you should always be thinking that you're going to move onwards and upwards. And when you do that, you want to leave someone who can do your job as well or better than you, preferably better than you, because you've trained them. Mm -hmm. And what happens there is that comes back around. When you move upstairs again, they move into your position again and so on and so forth. Now, that's super simplistic. But it's also a great way to look at things. You always want to be trying to replace yourself, whether you're serving on a volunteer board, whether you're a financial advisor, a salesperson, whatever you're doing, always be looking to replace yourself. Well, and I think part of that too, if you're in a management position too, looking to replace yourself, looking to manage, and you know, you're having to manage millennials, we have kind of something we were we worked on a few things one of them give feedback right millennials want to validation as well in what they're doing so we talked about they need to know what the purpose is right and then show them where they're at and how they're serving that purpose because that might be it's like hey i feel like i'm just a cog in a wheel yeah you might feel like that like you're just a cog in this wheel but this wheel is turning something that's super special and super meaningful right it's like oh wow okay now i see how i can play a role in something bigger. So give them reviews. Let them know how they're doing because really, I mean, as a millennial myself, it's like I tell my teammates all the time, it's like I want constructive feedback. Please tell me if there's an area where I can improve and be better because I do. I want to be better. We so desperately, I think, want to be better and to give back. But sometimes we just don't know if we actually are. And so we need people to tell us like, hey, what you're doing is valuable and here's how it is valuable. So do that for your millennials. And you know what, that's, I don't know if that's a millennial thing. I think it's probably more so even a millennial thing. But I know with my family's company, that's been, I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to talk about it. That's been a thing that employees have vocalized. It's like, hey, I need to feel validation from my superiors, right? And, and some some leaders, some bosses are really good at that and it comes naturally and others aren't. So if you're one of those people who doesn't come as natural, maybe you need to spend a little more time, maybe time block it, right? 
thinking about your employees, those teammates that you might manage, and then how it is that you think they're going to feel valued. Ben said validation. Validation is a lot different from an unwarranted affirmation. So Gen Xers give millennials a heck of a hard time about participation trophies. But we have to bring into context the fact that it was Gen X parents who created the participation trophies. They didn't want their precious young millennial not to get a trophy. Because millennials never asked for a participation trophy. That was pushed upon them. So we have to be cognizant of that. And millennials don't want participation trophies. They want validation when it's earned and they want feedback when they need to improve. Now, something else that you can do for millennials that that really, really does move the wheel, um, and just to put this in context, when millennials join a workforce, invariably they have a one-year mindset. They're going to try it for a year, and if they're not satisfied after a year, they're out the door again. And if you have a company where it takes longer than a year to build any kind of uh, processes or efficiencies, yeah, anything like that, then it's going to be a little harder to constantly be hiring every year. So if you want to retain millennials, if you want to keep millennials engaged, all you have to do is make it more interesting for them. So tie their work to something bigger. Ben mentioned this. It can be a cause. It can be that you guys go and do Habitat for Humanity and help build houses two or three times a year. It can be that you guys have a 401k match that also... Um, works on sustainable investments versus just making money. Whatever you do, make them feel like what they're doing is part of something bigger. And I can help you with that 401k plan as well. <laughs> My other shameless plug. i got to have one shameless plug per podcast. So when you're... As a millennial, I'm going to ask Ben to answer this. Uh-oh. So Ben, when you come across the older generation, have you experienced anybody that maybe doesn't take you seriously because of your age? Uh, I can think of a couple times in my career where I've had people that don't take me seriously. I'm a pretty confident person, though, and I tell people uh, confidence overcomes a lot of people's issues with age, I've noticed, and also a beard does too. So I have a beard for those of you that have not met me before. <laughs> So my beard and my confidence truly have overcome a lot of, I think, people's issues with my age. And I always tell people, it's like, hey, I've done a damn good job of saving. I'll prove it to you. I'll show you my portfolio. If you have any questions about if I'm a good saver or I'm good at my job, take a look at my account. I'll show you what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, But I think that is true, sorry, for most, most people is I'm sure that they, uh, you know, a lot of millennials get questioned because of their age, but... Ben looks older than I do, and I'm going to make him angry That's by saying that. That's not even true. We've asked multiple people. They put you as older. You liar. I have him by nine years, but he looks older with the beard. I'd like to leave you guys with just some tips that I've picked up. Um, being a, a young Gen Xer uh, rather than an old Gen Xer, I do work with a lot of millennials. I do work with a lot of Gen Xers and baby boomers. Heartland really does have a super, super diverse workforce. And it was hammered home to me when I went to some sales conferences early on in my Heartland career. I was kind of amazed that there were people of all ages and shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And what I've found successful in engaging with millennials is to truly engage with them. So give them guidance, give them feedback, and ask questions. 
they want to tell you what is good, what is bad, and what they'd like to see happen. The next thing is when they give you that feedback and answer your questions is truly listen to them. Give reasons you can or cannot do the things that they're asking for yeah. or create a task force for them to find a way to implement some of the changes they'd like to see. And that's just it because if they have a good idea, to your point of listening to their ideas, I mean, they're a different person than you are. They might have a really good idea that you haven't thought about that you could implement in your company that could be revolutionary, right? That you might really want to seriously consider. And lastly, uh, and then we'll wrap it up, was these, these millennials, they want leadership. They want mentorship, right? And they want you to listen to them. And the, back to my point from earlier, they want to feel validated, lead, give them ideas, when they do something right, validate it and let them know that they're doing something right. And then to the point earlier, give them that constructive criticism where they can improve and share a story, maybe how you had struggled with something similar like that, right? Everybody wants a little bit of empathy at times too. And remember that leading is different from being a boss. It's one thing having a title, it's a completely different thing being a leader. So one more thing is reinvest in a younger generation. Whether that be giving them tools, apps, books, mentors, give them access to events that you might not want to go to, but maybe sending them along to a young professional networking event on the company dime is going to show them that you believe in them and you want them out there representing your company versus having them on a leash and, and keeping them close by and, and checking on them all the time. Well, that was us jabbering on about millennials, so hopefully uh, you got some insightful information out of that. Now we'll get into somebody who's educated and knows a lot about millennials. So here we go with our uh, interview portion of the podcast with Tyler Lafferty. So today on the podcast, we have Tyler Lafferty. Tyler is the co-founder of 7-2 and 14-4, two agencies in Spokane, along with The Method, a juice cafe, and then the Union, a spin studio. So I've known Tyler for a few years now through uh, both working together on a board called Youth for Christ, where Tyler is currently the chair of it. So I get to work closely with him serving our Spokane community. So Tyler's on today to talk a little bit about millennials, uh, both hiring, firing, and managing millennials. So Tyler, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. It's good to be here. Thank you. So we're going to start, everybody we have on here, we're going to ask them some icebreaker questions. So just real quick, Tyler, one goal you'd like to accomplish during your lifetime that you haven't already accomplished? One goal? Gosh, you know, um, that's a good one. I think for me, honestly, I could be all about, um, I want to start my own nonprofit at some point. And I've come super close uh, a few different times. I just... I need to pull the trigger, but I've got a few different ideas. I already kind of have one a little bit even in the works, but I think there's a lot of value in, you know, put some energy in that and trying to put that out in the world. Um, so I'll, I'll get around to that. I'll make it happen. Uh, that's cool. Definitely. That's, that's a nice goal to have. If you had one job as a kid that you could do, what was your dream job when you were a little <laughs> boy? Well, I always thought it'd be cool to... Uh, to f- Fly fighter jets. Uh, I mean, who, <laughs> oh, nice. who did? Yeah. It's my Top Gun. All right, Maverick. A, a little different. Did you have the glasses <laughs> and the jumpsuit too? Oh well, you know that Jack Cool Aviator glasses, yeah. and the jacket. The jacket was cool. Uh, no, but that I I definitely wanted to be that. I guy. I know what we should get him for a Halloween costume this year. <laughs> who didn't want to be that guy? I mean, that was the best, right? But yeah, you kind of have the hair a little bit. Think so? Yeah, I appreciate a little bit. Yeah. 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 There you go. And I think I might know the answer to this one already. If they made a movie about your life. Uh, <laughs> 
Who would play you? <laughs> well, this might surprise the actor me. And what would it be about? Yeah, yeah who would play me? This I don't. Maybe you can see it, but uh, we'll have to put pictures out later. If anybody hasn't seen me, is uh, um, they say it looked like Neil Patrick Harris. That's what I get. A little bit. Barney yeah. Stinson. Barney I love Stinson. Barney Stinson. <laughs> that yeah. was a great. How I Met Your Mother. I, I I challenge that. accepted. <laughs> I get that one all the time, and I've literally I, I've been mistaken for him in L.A. As Seriously, like, walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and then uh, the other one, honestly, is like um, I've heard Matt Damon, which I don't know oh, about that or not. I'll take Matt that. I'll, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, um, uh, so when people mistake you for Neil Patrick Harris, do you just sign the autographs and walk away? <laughs> should. I should. I'd make I just a, own it. Make a lot of people's <laughs> day, right? Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, but what would I, the, I mean, it's a great question about like, what would it be about? Um, I hope that it'd be about like some you know guy that had you know done relatively well in business and had, had done a few you know smart things along the way but i think to be like remembered or you know kind of you know, put into a movie i would hope it would be something about like wow he really helped the world out or you know was was a kind or benevolent human being that you know was generous or uh you know somehow used his skills and strengths and and that in a, in a good way that, that helped the world I, I hope that's what the premise of the movie would be but it's probably about some goofball doing dumb things is what it'd probably be about, but yeah. you never know. So just uh, before we start asking you questions about millennials, because that's what the topic is today, do you want to give us like a brief timeline of when you started your first business and where you're at today and just break that down for us a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my business partner, Nick Murto, and I started 7-2 in 2004, uh, a digital creative agency um, doing websites and online ads and games and videos for big corporations all throughout the world. And we, along the way, about three years in, recognized there was a whole other niche to be filled, which was partnering with traditional advertising agencies that needed uh, web development help for their clients. And so we came alongside uh, agencies in Seattle and then as far down as LA, and, and then we, we kind of moved east and went uh, into Dallas and New York and a number of places um, trying to help them with their with their needs and so that was 14.4 um, so that was about three years so 2007 and then a little bit uh, down the way you know my Nick and I were talking about what else can we do what what are some other ideas I, I think as an entrepreneur you're constantly just thinking 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 right so that was definitely us we were what what else could we do and and Nick and I were kicking around ideas we had talked about starting another agency we had talked about starting um, a mobile kind of app development company in the end, decided to kind of uh, not do either of those and stick with, with within our own agencies. But then we said, hey, let's go like 180 degrees and you know, let's get into something we're passionate about, with, which was health. And um, at the time, Nick and I were both vegan. We were you know, kind of trying that out, which lasted about six months. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I did vegetarian for three years, which, you really? yeah, which wow, was honestly was... amazing. And I, I still probably eat a fair, pretty highly uh, vegetarian. I, I like told you vegetarian. he eats healthy. It's good. Well, well. Well, that's what, so we started Method, which yeah. is uh, a juice bar, uh, smoothies, healthy salads, and rice bowls, and things like that, acai bowls. Um, but it was just something we wanted for Spokane, and something that we thought would be good for the community, and uh, that's been really awesome. I mean, that's been, you know... I was going to say, I remember Nick, or you, I can't remember who it was, saying that you get to travel a lot. So you get to a lot of, see a lot of cool yeah. places and a lot of things that Spokane might not have, but that you could see in Spokane. Everybody I know, I'm not trying to bring you down or anything like that but i know people have said like god they're just big thinkers and nick's like no i think it was nick 
It's like, no, I just saw this in San Francisco or whatever and really liked it and thought we should do it in Spokane. Yeah, well, and it really was. Nick had great vision for that, and, and not only from a, you know what the menu should be um, and what we could do, but also from um, like the interior design and things like that. So Method's yeah. a cool, I think it's a cool place to I be. I like it. Oh, yeah. Nick had great vision for kind of what that looked like. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the food is fantastic. If you haven't been, you got to go because um, – it's all vegan. We don't like scream it from the rooftops, but it just happens to be, and, and people love it. It's a, it's a it's a it's really good food, really healthy. Uh, it's it's worth your while. It's, I will say this: I'm a meat and potatoes guy, and yeah. Tyler knows this. So you're and back to being an like omnivore now. I am an omnivore now. Say cool. again, Ben. Yeah, I said I'm a meat and potatoes guy, and I like their smoothies. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're definitely good. So, uh, and then uh, which kind of coincided a little bit with that. Not too far down the road, I think that was 2012. And then a couple years later, or even a year later, um, we opened the union, which was, again, uh, to your point, Ben, Nick saw, um, he was, really saw a great uh, kind of yoga practice down in L.A. that he really liked. Um, we were doing more spin and things like that. And, and Nick was like, hey, what if we you know, combined yoga and spin and created the union? Um, not at the same time, obviously, but we have a spin <laughs> studio, we have a yoga studio. But in the same while moment, we're doing design yeah, work. Yeah, while we're <laughs> Uh, so that was that was the union, and so now we have uh, both two methods uh, in Spokane, two unions. So that's been kind of fun to cultivate and see grow. Any plans for future expansion in Spokane? Uh, I don't know. We were talking today about what that could maybe look like. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I dare I say yes or no, but dare um, I say yes yeah, or no? You never know. He'll be too busy um, with his nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so and then you which know, is good. Yeah. So that takes us to what? That was probably 2013, 14, uh, expanded again in 16. Um, and so now 2019, just trying to like wrap our arms around all of this. Uh, you know, and that's focus is a big deal for me right mm -hmm. now. Just trying to be, uh, yeah, uh, I need to really con be conscious of how I spend my time and empowering the right people to do the right work. And that's a big one for me. Mm -hmm. So I was gonna say across all four basically companies, I know you guys employ a lot of millennials. Uh, I, I walk into the Juice Cafe and I think every one of them is a millennial. And then I've been through 7-2 and 14-4 and I think probably 70% of your staff is millennials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so on that topic, let's get into some of the questions centered on millennials if you're good with it. Yeah. So some of the common strengths and weaknesses, I know that millennials get a bad rap and we talked a little bit about that, Stephen and I did prior. Uh, what are you seeing as far as some of the bad raps? What do you think is legitimate and what do you think is false? You know, Dara, I, I'm certainly not an expert by any means, right? Like, I, 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 well, I was going to say, you're a Gen X or managing millennials. I'm a Gen millennials. X or managing millennials, uh, working alongside millennials. And so um, I do see it. And, and I think we also can certainly can't say that this is across the board, right? That, they're, mm -hmm. that they all act this way or anything like that. Um, there's exceptions to everything. There's absolutely exceptions. And I think, you know, I think one of the things I think that they get a bad rap for, um, I think is a little bit kind of, you know, being dreamers and maybe not uh, super focused. And I, I think that's certainly not true. I mean, there's some really hardworking, uh, successful millennials have done some amazing things that are, you know, that are, are getting some cool stuff done. Um, and so I, I think that's definitely definitely good for for our communities i think where at least what i've seen and there's definitely studies around this and you've heard probably youtube conversations i mean simon Sinek just recently got talking a lot about one um but he talks about this idea of millennials um being so much about like instant gratification right so i grab my phone and i, I get my emails quickly i get my texts quickly you can look up 
you know, the definition of cold fusion like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they've become accustomed to, right? So there is this sense of like, want it now, get it now, I've been used to that. And, I, and it's not even their fault. And I think at times, sometimes millennials have forgotten, and again, I hate to generalize, but some of them have forgotten that it does take hard work and it does mm -hmm. take time mm -hmm. and it does take, and so they, they have to kind of almost readjust or reevaluate um, kind of their, many of their scenarios. Mm -hmm. Why am I not a manager already? Why am I not the head of this? Or why, you know, it's like that will come and you keep you know, busting your ass and doing good and you'll get there. But, but I think sometimes they forget that it does take time. And again, almost really not their fault. They grew up in this time where yeah. instant gratification and getting all these things right away and having access to that. I totally get it. So it's, but, that's a relearning. I was going to say, sometimes I think of that image. There's an image where there's a guy digging a hole, and he's basically getting to the gold mine, you know, the gold nugget. And the guy's digging the hole, and you see him basically give up right as he's shoveling to the gold nugget. And it's like, well, this process isn't working, so I'm going to go and start over. It's like, oh, you're almost there. And sometimes I feel like with millennials, that's almost what they do. And I almost did that myself a couple times where it's like you're getting almost it's like, you know, you just have to keep grinding just a little bit harder. It's like until it happens. And then it mm -hmm. actually happens, and it gets easier. But. Yeah, there's no lack of talent. I think, right? Like, there's no the talent is is definitely there. I think it's a it's a it's an issue of expectations. Um, I, I just recently had uh, a young guy that I've mentored for years send me a text, and he's like, "Tyler, it finally dawned on me." And I was like, "What?" He said, "I, I finally realized I can't be an overnight success. I'm not going to be an overnight success. I can't." He wanted to start a, uh, and he had even done a small business. Um, and was hoping to garner clients right away and just grow. And he was kind of his head thinking, oh, this would be easy, right? No problem. And I think he just had this expectation that it was just going to happen. Mm -hmm. And he kind of realized that I don't even, I'm young. I don't even have the background yet for someone would even trust me to do these things for them. And so it was great that he came to this realization that like, I got to put my time in. And if I'm, you know, to, to be successful and to make this happen and, and ultimately, you know, be good and, and, and you know, and, and have success and, and, and to, to, profit from it I guess ultimately it's you got to put the time in and and it's not gonna be overnight and I, I love that he came to that conclusion I think that's definitely been true for me uh, nothing was an overnight success we had to yeah. you know work really really hard to come along anything we've had and even still I feel like nothing is easy and it, it's I, I'm you know I, I've come this far I've, I've learned this much and you know if I started a business tomorrow it would be just as much energy and effort and as it was the first time around <laughs> it's just cool. It's just recognizing and knowing that. And I think millennials, hopefully, are coming to that conclusion or recognizing that and are starting to kind of revamp the way they kind of see the, their own expectations. Yeah. So the interesting thing is Ben's a true millennial and I'm a Gen Xer. And I was reclassified as a Gen Xer sort of when they... This, I went to a thing with GSI a few years ago and they had a generational expert, so to speak, on. And he went through what the generations were and we actually recapped that in, in our, uh, our previous recording before before we talked to you. And what we found was that my, and similar to you, I'm, I'm late 30s, you're early 40s. Yeah. Um, our childhood was completely analog. And yeah. then at 18, 19, 20, we, all this technology hit. You know, we had dial-up internet, you had to wait in line to get on and you know that horrible AOL noise yeah. but then the instant gratification how do you see that that how are you adjusting and what you're looking for when you're hiring when you talk to them how the, the millennial generation how are you trying to set expectations for them and what are you looking for from them when you hire them 
Yeah, you know, I think it's it's not as much in the hiring per se, right? Like we're still looking for good, strong, kind, uh, intelligent people. But once they're in, 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 in working on other companies, I think it's uh, being a little bit more particular about structure. Right, so back in the day, we, you know, it was like, hey, I want you to do a great job. Come in here, let's let's you know, kick some butt, pat each other back, go to work. And now it's like, well, they kind of want a little bit more of a like roadmap. Like, well, I, help me like understand what that is, right? Um, because I think they need, they want more guardrails on that. Um, I think on some level to like ensure that they're doing the right thing, that they're not making a mistake. Okay. And so I think we're validation. To be, yeah. yeah, validation. I think, and which isn't a bad thing. It's nope. just. From a management standpoint, I think we're trying to be a little more conscious around what that looks like, how to give that. I don't think we were very awesome at it, to be honest with you. Like I've, I right, I mean, we're really in the throes, probably like many people, as they think about this new workforce coming up. But like, okay, how do we deal with this? And I, I, I think it's, I think it's horrible. And I think Simon Sinek says this in in, in his YouTube um, talk about millennials is is it's not their fault it's it's mm-hmm. it, it is a reality and we as managers have to learn how to deal with that mm-hmm. and again it's not a bad thing but you do have to adapt and learn and so i think we're getting very conscious about what that means to have more structure um give you know give those parameters to what success looks like whereas like again before it was kind of like hey just go and do and be successful and make this happen that's not always the way it is they they want that and i think that's good and so i think we just have to kind of change our mindset a little bit about when working with them and, and, and laying those out. And again, highly intelligent, very successful. I mean, they can be incredibly successful. There's no lack of talent. That's not the issue. It's just kind of working with those expectations. Yeah. So you had kind of mentioned it actually when you were talking about, hey, we still want people that are just good, genuine people to hire. But what are some you have specific traits that you're looking for? I know you've mentioned to me you have a beer rule kind the of. Beer of test? Yeah. The beer <laughs> test? Yeah. The beer test yeah. is important, right? So, um, the way kind of like so particularly talking about seven two uh, just for now one of our digital agencies, um, and I did recognize that I totally forgot to talk about Strategy Labs. Not that I want to talk about one more company oh, that yep. I have, but I dare. I, don't <laughs> want them, I, I forgot. I don't want them I did to drop feel. I did, yeah, when you said four, I'm like I think there's five. Uh, I didn't want them to feel. <laughs> well, like and there's passenger pets. Let's not forget. Oh them. yeah, passenger pets and all that. And other. access to experience. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there are some other ones, but Strategy Labs, <laughs> uh, digital media company, um, media buying, online strategy, digital media strategy, things like that. So anyway, uh, I love those guys. Don't want to. Don't want to. That was another one that we started. Uh, partnered with a guy named Ramsey Pruchnik in uh, the start of 2018. So anyway, to answer your question. Um, we do have this thing called the beer test. And what the beer test is, is, and I think uh, Google might call it the layover test. Uh, hmm. It's this idea, right? Would you want to go have a beer with this person? Would you want to you know, be stuck in a layover with this person? Oh, I love it. And if you think about it, right? So if you think about this, whenever we do hiring, like 7-2, my team does an amazing job of, of getting people in, um, talking through, meeting with them, understanding who can do the job, right? So, so they qualify. They qualify, yeah. absolutely qualify them. So when they get to Nick and I, it's kind of the last interview, and it's really about understanding, is this person right for the culture? Can they, you know, will they come in? Um, will they add to what we're doing? And by all means, that doesn't mean we're looking for this, like, very um, homogenous person. If anything, it's, it's complete opposite. opposite. We love people that, can, that have really diverse um, backgrounds. We've had people and employees that were one of the best hairdressers in Spokane. We've had people that are welders. We've had people that uh, one gal um, had gone 
really far like to get her sommelier certification. Mm. I mean, we like these different types of people that bring different things to the table, which again, having a beer with them and learning about their backgrounds and all that stuff are, are, are really good. But I think the one thing that we found was a really big deal for us, and, and it's part of the beer test or even the layover test, is, is this idea of humility and having humble people. When you hire humble people, they want the company to do well, they want to do well themselves, but they want their their coworkers to do well. As a and team, you, yeah. as a team effort, right? When you come to work every day and you're you know and you're about to put yourself in this work day and work really hard, you want people around you that feel the same way, that want the company to grow, that that they want you to grow. Uh, there's a value we have at Seven Two called "I Got Your Back," right? So you, that's humble people got your back. They they they, mm-hmm. they have your back. They want you to to grow and be better. Um, and that's huge. We, we look for that when we hire. And I would say that's one of the like, strongest qualities you know, we try to find. And that's, how do you even you know, tease that out, right? Well, it's, and it it's almost hard. shows a willingness to learn too, right? Absolutely. Not, I don't know it wrong all. I'm not, yeah, to, exactly. Say, not. I'm not perfect. I'm human. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's incredibly that's important. So I, I actually operate like that on any boards that I serve on as well. I'm like, hey, before we offer any positions, the resume is important. But to your point, do you want to have a beer with them? And then... The second thing is, is who can they replace or what skill set do they bring, right? And those are the things you think about last. Um, and I always say when you're hiring, you should probably look to be replacing yourself. Um, so the people that should be working with them should be, or, or interviewing them, should be the ones that they are going to work with the closest. I think sometimes we have upper management do interviews and they don't know what they're supposed to be looking for. So um, that's interesting. Um, I like the beer rule. I'm a big yeah. fan of that. <laughs> Sorry to use that yeah. <laughs> and I like beer. So, <laughs> well, and, and Ben, one thing you were asking me earlier just about kind of myths and you know what can I dispel. And one thing that I think we found is, you know, there's this idea that oh, millennials don't care as much about um, you know salary. They just want like life experiences, and they want you know. They want work-life balance, and I mean, truth be told, we all want that. I mean, yeah. there's Who value doesn't? in all of that. Yeah. But you know, we found that there's a lot of, of uh, millennials that yeah, money does matter, right? It's not like I would hate for anyone listening who's you know managing millennials. Go, oh, good, I don't have to care about this. I'm just going to go make sure we have a you know Habitat Humanity Day, and, <laughs> and all my millennials are happy. No, they they just like the rest of us. They care mm-hmm. about what you know being valued, um, and one of the ways of being valued is definitely what your pay is. And so that's I think you know certainly a dispelled myth if you will yeah. is, um, you know, millennials care about that just like the rest of us which is good Yeah. so this may, this is kind of going backwards but what made you want to start your own business I'm guessing just an entrepreneurial spirit from when you were young but then what what uh, realities kind of brought you back down to earth and what were your biggest difficulties in getting moving and in each of the businesses yeah I think early on I always knew that I would either start my own company or be the President and CEO of somebody else's company. I, I I had worked early on in some some corporation, bigger corporations, and I kind of always saw myself as you know, gosh, how do I how do I maneuver this to get to the top? I always wanted to be the guy you know calling the shots, or the, you know, the person at the top. And and for me, um, when I really kind of thought more about that, I thought, well, if I'm gonna you know do all that, then I'd love to do it for myself. I'd love to you know be able to kind of create that and and have the 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 freedom to make my own choices when it came down to what I wanted, how I wanted it, and what that looked like. And I was willing, I guess, when you put that together with um, willing to take the risk, right? It comes down to, are you willing? Because I think that's, that's where a lot of people think, oh, I thought about doing that. But then when they really get pushed, they're not willing to take the risk to 
you know, I guess ultimately fall flat on their face. And I always knew that if, if, if I flew, fell flat on my face, that I would pick myself, I was okay with the idea of picking myself back up, going and finding a job, working for somebody else. I wasn't ever above that. Even I wasn't above going and bagging groceries if necessary, um, even though, you know, I had years of experience and all that. If that was what it took to put food on the table, then I was willing and, and, and able to, and wanted to do that. And so I think that gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I am going to do this. And so that's when Nick and I started talking. We were working in an advertising agency at the time. They were a full service ad agency, TV, print, radio, digital. Nick and I were truly only passionate, passionate about digital. And so being that that was the case, we said, hey, let's let's break out, let's do our own thing. And we worked for a good company that had worked for national, uh, other big national companies out of Spokane. So we saw a model that said, hey, we could do this. And as long as we're willing to get on a plane and go see clients and be with them in market, like, hey, this can this we can make this happen. And so I think it was overcoming some of those things. And I think, you know, I'm always a big fan of setting the bar really high for, for myself or for any person. Um, that you, If you set it really high and then you just really try to go after that, honestly, more than likely you're going to hit it. I, I really believe that. The human spirit is there. You're going to do – so a lot of people, that scares them. And so they lower the bar in an effort to hit it. And then when they do, they feel good about it. Hey, I made this happen. But I think you have to, like – have a really high bar for yourself and then you know you'll be surprised when you nail it definitely i've got a coffee cup that i drink out of at home and on my coffee cup it says basically shoot for the moon because even if you miss you'll land amongst the stars and i'm like <laughs> oh did your mom perfect. buy that for you uh, probably or, like or my wife mom, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i do have a dr seuss one that my parents got okay. me okay. all like the places that. you will go as yeah. corny as that is ben uh there's a lot of i mean there's great truth it's true that, though. right no i mean yeah. yeah you're gonna do great things and and i think that's the problem if anything is sometimes people set the bar too low yeah and warren gracious talks about this i don't know if you've read the book the best damn sales book ever mm phenomenal books there's some, our explicit some, we gotta <laughs> there's um yeah there goes the clean rating um <laughs> but there's a lot of cool stories in it but he actually says he doesn't believe in real and achievable goals he says set your goals so high and then when you hit those goals then you've achieved something but just yeah. kind of reinforces your point but mm -hmm. i highly recommend that book if you haven't say it's, it again it's a good one the best damn sales book ever okay. <laughs> i like it nice so by warren gresham warren Gresh's. Yeah, New York guy tells his stories really, really well. Uh, how have you had to adjust your management style and your personal kind of maybe biases or things that you have in life to manage as many people as you guys are managing? Uh, I think, well, it's, like I said, I think we're getting better at, and again, I, I think we're far from like nailing this just yet. No, however, it's different. Our arms yeah. around this and moving in the right direction, but um, I think we're trying to figure out what does it look to, to give more structure to those you know people. Um, millennials that want that and, 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 and try to be very conscious of maybe it's even you know sitting down even more with each one of them and finding out where they want to go what, what does that look like and have a better understanding of their path and maybe at that point then I can help put in you know some realistic goals for them so they maybe their expectations aren't about you know hey I'm gonna move ladder up tomorrow it's it's hey realistically in this company it takes this amount of time so trying to be a little more forward and trying to figure that out at 7.2 and 14.4, we're, we're pretty flat organizations. We don't have too much management. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, getting people to come in, get excited about their job, and, and that's always been something we, we work really hard well, on. And one thing that I've appreciated about you that I know you've done in the past is even you have those conversations with people about where they want to go, and sometimes it's not even in your company. Oh, absolutely. And then I know you've helped them even start their own businesses, too. Absolutely. Which has been cool. So it's like, hey, I want you to grow, and that might mean that you're not – 
with us anymore. Well, and we say that that's uh, an axiom that Nick and I have is, uh, you know, people first, job second. So, if you know, sometimes people are surprised when they come to me and they're just like, hey, uh, I found this other opportunity that, you know, I feel it's right for me and I want to go do this. And then we don't counter, right? We don't say, like, we want you because it's hardly ever do we ever, ever counter it. Because if you were seeking something else out and you found something that you thought was better for you. One foot's out the door. I'm with you. Well, but... but I, it's not like as I feel bad about that. I, I'm excited for you. I, I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Like good for you. You found something that was right for you. If I couldn't give you that, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Like mm-hmm. you know, if if what we were offering wasn't exactly or wasn't fitting your needs at that time, that's okay. Again, people first, job second. That's mm-hmm. okay. And see, that's, cool. that's leadership. That's not management. But I don't believe in management. I believe in leadership. And one of the one of the best things I ever heard was just the other day someone said to me that no one's ever managed their way out of a crisis. You lead your way out of a crisis. <laughs> I believe that, and it, it really struck me. So I think what you're doing and what you're describing here is more leadership. Like you said, you have a pretty flat structure. It's like, hey, come and be great every day. Don't show up and ask somebody what am I supposed to be doing or tell me what to do type thing. We're trying, and like I, said, I mean, again, but this workforce particularly, you know, does want a little bit more of that. So I think management's trying to, to change in that way, right? Like, it's particularly Nick and I getting a little more prescriptive about like, hey, what does structure look like? What does success look like? And trying to get better at that because I think we 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 over the years have gotten by with that but as our workforce is changing we're having to be a little more conscious to 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 make that happen you um you're obviously fairly fit and healthy you own two studios is it two studios (laughs) or three studios two studios and yeah two Um, uh, so what's your fitness regimen what inspires you to stay healthy and are you doing yoga and spin all the time or are you lifting weights what's what's your thing (laughs) it's great uh for me I'm kind of all over the board, honestly. Like fitness is fitness is fitness. Is if I can get my heart rate up, if I can get you know some sort of a some weightlifting in. So I mean, what it looks like for me is usually two to three days a week is cardio of some sort. Uh, I mean, my go-to is running. I love putting on a pair of shoes, heading out the door. I'll even you know leave my watch at home, just get out. Get even outside. if there's not a ball, you don't chase balls. You just run. <laughs> no, I just like to run. Wow, like, that's an alien concept. There's, to there's me. some freedom to that, right? <laughs> Steven's not a runner. Yeah, I, I don't mind that. I, there's just something freeing about that. Um, so let's say cardio three to four days a week um, with something like that. And then I like to, um, I'm, a, I'm a weights guy, so I love to, you know, some sort of weightlifting or something like that just to try to stay strong. And, and the, the older I get, the more I realize I need to use not just the, the, the beach muscles, but like other muscles that are, you know, <laughs> uh, work on core. It's not, not just buy and try day and chest. Core or? because I want, not because I want six pack, because I need like better, you know, back uh, starting to hurt. Yeah, core yeah. support. Uh, so trying to be conscious of that. I joke that I used to, you know, um, run and bike all the time. So I was only going in one direction and lateral movement is a big deal to me now. So mm-hmm. I try to do, you know, even down to like the, um, it's been a while since I've done this before. I got into uh, the insanity workouts and you know, some of those beach. Yeah, they're great, right? And it's more lateral movement. I like going and doing some CrossFit t- style workouts, you know, usually on my own. I mean, instead of going to a CrossFit gym, I like to just go and, and do some Olympic lifts or this and that. Um, but as long as I'm, you know, doing, and then of course just having fun, right? So whether it's going out and mountain biking or going skiing or backcountry or, um, you know, playing pickleball, we've been playing a lot more pickleball these days, which is surprisingly <laughs> fun. I actually love it. My wife's a fiend and she's really good at it. Um, but playing with a bunch of people. It's but, hard. You know, 
It's hard, but you, you sweat. But you surprisingly get a great workout. It's actually mm -hmm. really, really fun, and I get out there for a couple hours, and I, I, yeah, I, I love it. So I think for me, it's just you know being active. The older yeah. I get, it's less about regimen, less about even like particular. And yes, uh, I do uh, like to go to the studios and spin. And then um, I don't do as much yoga as I should. Uh, I believe in it wholeheartedly. Uh, I just I, and I, the older I get, the more I'm like I do need to get in the studio and do more uh, yoga. So uh, hopefully See, that's in my future. Someone who owns gyms struggles with the same thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right? the rest absolutely, of us. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knowing that, yeah, yoga would be good for me. Yeah, more you, you know what yeah, you're supposed uh, to do, but you uh, don't absolutely, always do. Absolutely, I've, it's been a big focus for me the last few months, probably six months now. I've been doing what's called Romwad, range okay. of motion workout of the oh, day. Oh yeah. So deep stretches, long holds, and it's it's been great for me. I mean, I I couldn't get my hands on a bar to do a squat before oh, wow. I started doing this. Yeah, and, mobility is and incredibly important. And it helps with injury prevention. It's mm -hmm. a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big yeah. fan. But we'll have to get you to the gym to lift with Ben and I. Um, That'd be great. Oh, there you, you go. You have to see yeah. Ben's face when he's pushing a heavy weight. <laughs> I like it. I'll spot that. I, I'm not, I, I now start just like biting my cheeks. <laughs> like, oh, the very first face. time I said, are you joking or is that your actual... <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? What am I doing? Yeah, right. Wait, like, you meant you to do that with your face? <laughs> but, oh, that's awesome. So I was going to say, part of this, I hope, is to make people like yourself seem real, right? Because I think a lot of the time people are just like, oh, they've got four businesses. They've done something that I'm never going to do, sure, right? Sure. But I think the reality is just like, no, you go have some of the same struggles as the rest of us. I mean, case in point, knowing you should do yoga, knowing you should do these things from a workout standpoint, <laughs> right. and you're not doing them. Right. So what are some of the things that might be holding you back from a business standpoint, relationship standpoint. Like, so where this is where you get to be raw sure. a little bit, hopefully. What are some of the things that scare you? Yeah. You know, or some of the things you want to accomplish. I know the nonprofit, but yeah. you're terrified to step out and do. Well, I think for me that I, something I've been wrestling with a lot, probably the last three or four months is, um, this idea of focus. And, 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 and I think there's a bit of a Superman mentality that I can do it all. And I could be amazing at all of it. And I, I think I've been trying to be a little bit more introspective, like, huh, maybe you've been dropping the ball there. You know, whether it's business, definitely on business. I think there's certain things where I have, I, I need to, um, I need to be better at. I just, I need more focus on it. And because of sometimes juggling all of this, I always say you got to put the right people in the right places to do the right work. I totally believe that. But oftentimes um, I try to insert myself as the right people and maybe I'm not the right people. Mm -hmm. So I need to do better at like ensuring that there's availability and focus that can happen, whether it's me or it's somebody else, but ensuring that the, my employees are getting that because um, that's incredibly important. So I think that's holding me back a little bit. I, think, I, think, I don't think I've been my best self because I've been a little bit scattered. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, yeah, it looks glamorous to own all these businesses and oh, that's cool. But, you know, am I truly giving enough value to each one? I, I wrestle with that every day. And, and maybe some, a lot of people would say, oh yeah, yeah, totally. But I think there are people in there who would say, well, honestly, no, I think I could do a better job of focusing here or there. Yeah. So I think that for me, I just being real with myself and like how honest I am with, am I giving enough focus to this? Or and if I'm not, what do I need to do to put somebody else in place to, to make that happen? So try to be super conscious of that. Um, that's hard because I want to be the guy who can do yeah, it. Yeah, you want to be I Superman. Mean, I, I like want to be said, Superman, yeah. and so yeah. And I, I, There's I, the ego part there too. The Superman. I mean, huge ego. ego. Yeah. I, I have a big huge. Ego. No, I do. I really do. <laughs> huge. I, I think ego. I come across as just like, oh yeah, Tyler's. I think I am kind and all of that, but at the same time, I think I have a yeah. big ego, or at least uh, 
believing that I can do all these things and it's hard it's to checking like, your ego to yeah be reason. introspective yeah. and be like wow maybe you're not like get 10 out of 10 on all that so but at the same time a certain amount of ego is needed in order to be successful in the business world to push forward yeah. to you know you have to believe in yourself and the second you don't is when when things don't go your way right well I want you guys to come listen to my podcast someday which I've joked about right I, I'm, I totally joking. is this the one that Tim and Nick and you talked about no, it's not, no that not that one, one. that's <laughs> a totally different one uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's not talk about that one. This, uh, no, but I joke to your point, Stephen, is I, I want to start a podcast called Ego and Ignorance. And because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about this, like, yes, have me on. I mm-hmm. totally agree. Which is this idea that there is a fair amount of ego that you that you have to have to, to, to deliver on to that you're doing it. Whether that's your ego that you, um, you have so much hubris to believe that this idea is real and it can be something that can be commercialized. And I mean, there is some ego involved in that to make that happen. And then ignorance, just enough to, dumb enough to think you can do it. Like, ah, yeah, I can pull this off or start five businesses or any of this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like there's some, there's a little bit of ignorance that has to kind of be there like, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but in a like, I don't know any better. So, you know, I'm gonna do it. I think that, you know, this could be a really big deal and I'm gonna try to make this happen. And so, yeah, there's definitely some ignorance, and, and that is, ego and ignorance has certainly fueled me uh, on uh, along the way. But it, but of course, you need to be introspective and recognize when that you know maybe that's getting you in the bad place. So, um, yeah, I'm ego to and out. ignorance. Hey, I love that. And ignorance. Ego and ignorance. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I I try and I always come full circle back to athletics and, and sport. And I think to that point, you know, the first time you pick up a basketball or a soccer ball or a tennis racket, golf club. Pickleball. You might be naturally <laughs> athletic, but you have to work and work and work until you believe in yourself. Like, there's golf shots I try. I'm a terrible golfer, but there's times where I'll turn the club backwards and try and hit left-handed thinking I can do what the pros do. And, again, it's ego and ignorance, right? Yeah. Um, and I love that. I love that concept. You should do that. <laughs> okay. you should, you should I'll go, I'll yeah, that. I think that'd be good. You can borrow <laughs> the equipment. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So I appreciate it. Because yeah, I'm sure you don't have any hookup with that no. stuff. Yeah. But. Is there... Um, so... I'm going to ask this three things for anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur. What would you tell them that they have to focus on? What What would be three little tidbits of wisdom? I would definitely, you know, say, and we talked a little bit about this. But perseverance is a huge one, right? Like just yeah. to keep it's going. Like grit. Just grit. Grit's a great way to. That's yeah. bad. Just yes, grit. That is a great description. You got to have grit. You, you're going to get kicked down. You're going to be told no. You yes. I mean, expect that. You mm-hmm. have to have the grit to. And the ego to still believe that this is a good idea. I can make this, and but to also be listening, right? Maybe it is a bad idea, and but that doesn't mean you should give up. You should maybe turn it, pivot, do something else. So I think grit is a huge one. Um, I think being on top of cash flow, recognizing that you can have a lot of fantastic entrepreneurs, whether it's a, an engineer who understands this this software product and is, is going to do build something amazing, but doesn't understand the larger business side of it, right? So they, they don't think about things like cash flow. How are we keeping the money coming in the door? What does that look like? Whether that's money from a venture capitalist, whether that's money from a bank, whether that's money from friends and family, but cash flow is the lifeblood of any company. And that was advice that was given to us and we were super conscious of going forward. And, and to this day, we, you know, I think any entrepreneur has got to be recognizing that. Like, what's the bigger business thing here? Right, that I'm trying to, 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 to be a part of and do and build. And it can't just be about the amazing product or, or service. Uh, you've got to think about all pieces of that business and, and cash flow certainly being one of them, the finances. Um, and then the third one I'd say is just, uh, I'd say mentorship. Find some people doing this work and talk with them 
or find some mentorship, you know, people that are willing to give you time and energy. And I appreciate Ben, you said, you know, I, I, yes, I do love to give my time to other people that are, have an idea or trying to figure something out, whether it's in my industry or in a different one. If I can add even a tiny bit of value um, and, you know, they take the time to, to call me and say, hey, would you, would you talk with me? Then yes, I, I try to do whatever I can to help them because um, I think we as entrepreneurs, as business people, and, and, and that, you don't even have to be an entrepreneur, I think in anything you do, but when you kind of meet with others and understand like how can I be better, what can I do better, how should I challenge myself, you know, other people kind of hold you accountable, hold your feet to the fire. And so having that kind of mentorship in your life is incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to give us some insight. It's not like he's got anything else to do. I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. So, hey, <laughs> I'm grateful to be here, and I, I appreciate you guys doing this and talking about these kind of things. It's, it's fun, absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you for coming yeah. in. Guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast with Tyler Lafferty. I hope you enjoyed it and got some insightful information that hopefully you can use in your own world. And you guys should reach out to us with any feedback or ideas. We are available on Facebook or Instagram, O2EJourney. That's the letter O, the number two, E-Journey. You can find us on both platforms. Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom.
tell you all the story about the joke around the thief, sir. That was all about.